God's grace, peace, and mercy be with you on this 19th Sunday after Pentecost through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, look, how many of you uh, played war when you were kids? Yeah, right. Army man, right? War. You know, I used to play that with my friends. And we always played World War II. You know, I had a friend whose older brother had a closet full of uniforms we could wear, too. I mean, we were serious. And as, you know, when you're a kid, when you play war, you know, the object mainly is just to kill your enemy, right? Or maybe take over a patch of the backyard or a room in the house. What we didn't know as kids, however, was that the Second World War wasn't just about nations fighting over territory. World War II was fought over how we are to live. Japan had its East Asia co-prosperity sphere. Italy had fascism. Germany had national socialism. The Soviet Union had communism. And Europe and America had a democratic, you know, flavor of capitalism, I guess. All these social systems dictated how people we're going to live, or how they should live. And, and uh, live and let live was not going to be a thing for Japan and Germany. Here in America, we already had decided how we were going to live, and we stood our ground and defended it. And we continued to, continued to defend it even after the war was over. But doesn't the notion of how we are to live somehow underpin or isn't it infused in Christianity? I mean, isn't one of the major assumptions people not of the faith make is that the Bible tells people how to live, how they should live? You know, when I was not of the faith, that's one of the assumptions I made because I worked with Christians in the military and it seemed more often than not they were telling people how they should be living. Oh, I don't go out drinking. I don't use that kind of language. I don't watch those kinds of movies. Neither should anyone else. Christians are about telling others how to live. Am I wrong with this, or do you think that assumption is out there? Okay, I mean, perhaps you've encountered people like that yourself. Aren't some of the charges against the church? I mean, aren't some of them that, you know... We say women shouldn't get abortions. People with same-sex attraction shouldn't get married. You know, people mustn't trust science. People shouldn't do things like drink alcohol or gamble and a, and a whole host of other do's and don'ts. You know, our long-time reputation as do-gooders has evolved into something like Christians hate those who don't believe and do the same as they do. But you and I know from experience even within the church, we don't all agree on how we should live, politically or biblically. The world accuses Christians of being intolerant, in, of being intolerant of other people's ways of living. But in reality, Christians are, for the most part, tremendously tolerant. Especially in this country, you can find a church that will agree with your view on how we should live. You can find them. They're out there. You know, you have a smorgasbord of choices, of churches out there. You might not agree with 
every little thing the pastor says or does. You might not agree with every person in the congregation. Hey, even within this congregation, we are willing, you know, you and I are willing to tolerate or allow the existence of opinions or behavior we don't necessarily agree with. How are we able to even do this in a culture today that's so extreme, you know? It's either one way, usually it's, you know, my way, right? Or that's the individual's thinking, it's my way, or everyone else is wrong, right? How are we able to to tolerate each other? Well, it comes through a reasonableness we show the world on account that God is at hand. That's how. The apostle says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Don't be anxious over a thing. Let all your requests be known to God, your fears, your cares, your thanks, your joys, and you will have a peace from our God that goes way beyond your understanding. That's what Paul says. Reasonableness. Now, a modern understanding of that word is that we are fair and sensible in mind and action. Our judgment is sound. We are logical, rational, sound people. That's the Christian believer, according to Paul. Or is it? And I had to look this word reasonableness up. You know, it's in your ESV translation, English Standard Version translation, printed in your service folder here. I had to look this up in the original language to see if perhaps there wasn't some, you know, ancient cultural nuance that's been lost in translation over the centuries. And in the Greek, Paul says, let your forbearance be known to all people. Now, that's not a word we use very much anymore, forbearance. It means patience, self-control, and tolerance. In the New Testament, the same word is used to mean equitable and seemly, which means, you know, a proper attitude, a sense of decorum, public decorum, you know, a proper attitude, yielding and gentle, which all circles back to being reasonable. So that is what the Christian, that is what Paul's talking about when he says the Christian believer, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. But boy, we Christian believers can have our moments, can we? When our decorum may slip by the wayside. Sometimes when the other person says something or does something we don't agree with, we stomp our foot down because we're right and they're wrong and we refuse to budge an inch on the issue, whatever it may be. In my early days of uh, learning how to be a pastor... When I had no practical experience and knew just enough to be dangerous instead of helpful, Jill and I are with our weeknight Bible study group back in Missouri, and someone says, yeah, I've been baptized four or five times. I just get to the point after a while where I'm not feeling it anymore, and I have to get that cleansing feeling again. And after hearing this confession, my blood started to boil, and I started turning all shades of red. I'm thinking, how dare you utter such heresy? We all believe in one baptism for the remission of sins. That's in the creed. 
How can you believe anything different? I did not think very highly of this person for a long, long time. Until I came here. And the same thing happened. A person comes to me and says, Pastor, I was baptized, baptized as a child, but can you do it again for me? I'm feeling like the first one just didn't take or something. You know, this time my blood did not boil. After having been schooled by the Holy Spirit for a few years and aging a little more like a good wine, my response was something like this. I get what you're saying. Some days I feel the same. But you know, God says to us in our baptism that our sins are forgiven, and they are. I tell you what, instead of baptizing you again, there's an ancient practice in the Christian church of anointing a person with oil. I'll make the sign of the cross on your forehead with oil. Oil is persistent. It stays on your skin for a while. Let it remind you that you have been washed clean by the blood of Christ, and that washing is daily, constantly, like a flow of water over your head that never ends. The person agreed, and we did that. Now, these lessons are hard to learn. We blunder and stumble our way through life being angry at people, damaging relationships, damaging our own soul on account of how we believe we should live. Jesus came to earth, however, to live, die, and rise again for us. His blood shed on the cross covers all our sin and takes it away, completely removes it, puts it on his shoulders. It's not held against us anymore with God the Father. We are forgiven of these infractions of being reasonable, not to mention the really bad stuff we do in thought, word, and deed. Instead of waging war, we must think about the things that are true and honorable and just, pure, worthy of praise. Not only that, but as Paul says, Practice these things. Now look, I know it's a a noisy world out there, and I'm not just talking about traffic or your neighbor's leaf blower that never seems to stop. It's, It's noisy because we listen to so many voices out there, so many people telling us how to live or to to live and let live as long as you live the way I live or the way the person's telling you to live, right? Hey, look, I'm one more person in this crazy mix. You come to church or you tune in to listen to yet another voice tell you how to live. Well, here's how we should all live while we're on the subject. Let's stop watching cable news all day and stop getting our news from social media and just watch 30 minutes of broadcast news per day from one of the networks. Just 30 minutes of national or local headlines each day for two months and see if our lives are any different. Try it. Actually, I'm already living that way. And I can tell you it makes a difference. But when life is hard to make sense of, the peace of heart and mind which comes from God will guard us. Paul says the Lord is at hand. He is with us. He is for us. And because of that, we are for all people. 
We're not against those who don't believe the same as us. We are for them in so much as God and his church are for all people. This is a public ministry, right? Forgiveness is for all who will hear and believe and repent. One of the earliest surviving letters written by a Christian after the letters of Paul and John is one by an unnamed disciple to a person named Diognetus. And I'm just going to read the part about the manner of a Christian because I think it echoes Paul's take on reasonableness pretty well. This unknown author says, Christians are distinguished from other folk neither by country nor language nor the customs which they observe. They don't live in their own cities nor do they have their own language. Their behavior has not been invented by any particular man nor do they, like some, proclaim themselves the advocates of any merely human doctrines. But living in Greek as well as barbarian cities as they choose, they follow the customs of the natives in respect to clothing, food, and the rest of their ordinary conduct. They display to us their wonderful and striking method of life. They live in their own countries, but simply as people on a journey. As citizens, they share in all things with others and yet endure all things as if foreigners. Every foreign land is to them as their native country and every land of their birth as a land of strangers. They marry like everyone else. They have children, but they don't kill their children in pagan sacrifices. They have a common table, but not a common bed. They are in the flesh, but they do not live after the flesh. They pass their days on earth, but they are citizens of heaven. They obey the prescribed laws of the land and at the same time surpass the laws by their lives. They love all people and they are persecuted by all. They are unknown and condemned. They are put to death and restored to life. They are poor yet make many rich. They are in lack of all things and yet abound in all. They are dishonored and yet in their very dishonor are glorified. They are evil spoken of and yet are justified. They are reviled and yet they bless. They are insulted and repay the insult with honor. They do good yet are punished as evildoers. When punished, they rejoice as if quickened into life. They are assailed by the Jews as foreigners and are persecuted by the Greeks. Yet those who hate them are unable to assign any reason for their hatred. It would seem this is the reasonableness Paul speaks about a mere 100 years earlier in his letter to the Christians in Philippi and which still resonates throughout the Christian church today. So may you and I and all people who walk in the light of Jesus Christ do all things through him who strengthens us, Jesus Christ. Amen.